0: please leave your message. Philadelphia! I'm calling to tell you that I am going to be inside of you this Friday, February 16th. Perhaps I could have put that in a better way. But that is right, yes. Me, Kevin McDonald, from the kids in the hall, we're aging a bit. I'll be doing two huge podcast shows at the Philly Improv Theater at 8 p.m. and at 8.05 p.m. That's crazy let's change it all right it's 8 p.m and 10 p.m that's better with guests spike eskin and dr dog oh my god is that true i can't believe it that can't be true we must be lying it's true get your tickets at www.foreverdogpodcast.com and they put the capitals in the heavy letter in and you absolutely have to listen and watch judah friedlander and todd berry's two netflix specials on netflix right now do it are you back we talk about them on the podcast too. Oh, it's a good show. They're not all good shows, but this is a good one. Um it is it the only good one. No, they're they're all good. I'm not lying. Enjoy. Enjoy Jude and Todd. Also, subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. You will give an angel wings and and me money. Um I'll buy some wings with the money. Um uh, thank you very much. End of message.
1: So much, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you, and welcome to Kevin McDonald's Kevin McDonald Show. Yes. Thank you, thank you. Now I would like to introduce your introducer. Thank you so much. <clears throat> I'm your introducer. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you, and welcome to Kevin McDonald's Kevin McDonald Show. I am your announcer, and thank you. Maybe we do one more for fun. You know, they usually have someone announce the announcer, but I have such a beautiful voice. Why use anyone else? <laughs> I really do have a beautiful voice. Carry on, my wayward son. Yes, Kevin McDonald chose me to be his announcer because of my beautiful voice. And, you know, I actually was in the uh, 60s folk group, if you can believe it. (laughs) The Dream Fluffers. Yes, we we used to sing, Puff, the magic dragon lived by the sea. That good song. You know, that wasn't one of ours, but it is a pretty good song. It's an allegory to marijuana. Do you guys all know that? Yeah, you can answer. So we tried to write a similar song and we did. It's called Allegory to Marijuana. And it goes like this. Allegory to marijuana because I really smoke marijuana. Oh, smoke my allegory. Smoke my allegory, and on and on and so on and so Ooh. forth. Eventually though, sick of the music industry, I switched to voice work. I was Farmer Eddie in the Nickelodeon classic Fart Farm. <laughs> Remember my catchphrase? Will you animals stop farting? <laughs> but I really made my name using my calming voice to fire people in pre-recorded voice messages for corporations with cowardly CEOs. Well, that's how Kevin heard about me. <laughs> Please, listen to this. It's on my technological device. Hello, Kevin McDonald. Hope you're having a wonderful day. I'm calling on behalf of Mistress McCullough, Foley, Thompson, and McKinney of The Kids in the Hall, though they don't look like kids to me. That was a joke. (laughs) However, they wanted me to let you know that they feel it might be a good idea for you to take a couple of years off from the troupe to rest and reassess your life, go over all the wrong choices you've made, like your eight ex-wives and doing a podcast show in Brooklyn. And by the early 2020s, perhaps you can have a sincere and meaningful discussion with the troupe or a representative of the troupe via conference call or telegram about your future with them. Have a good day and go Blue Jays. Oh, and Dave wants his Big Star albums back. Big Star. You know, he was sad when he heard that, but at the same time he was struck by my beautiful and deeply resonant voice. And here I am. (laughs) So without further ado, please give a warm welcome for a man who was great in the 90s, Kevin McDonald. (laughs) A mulatto, an albino, a
0: mosquito, my libido, a potato, a potato, a a tomato, a tomato. That was a great 90s song. I I don't know if those are the lyrics. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Ah, uh, thank you, and uh, thank you for being here, my beautiful voiced announcer.
1: It's good to be here, Kevin.
0: Wow, you have a great voice announcer. You're fired. <laughs> See, say it again. You're fired. What a great voice. Okay, now start the show. Start the show. Uh, okay. Uh, usually, uh, I start the show uh, with an opening uh, monologue um, that, that takes me years and years to write. Um, but I figured this time, hey, I was I was flying, I was flying on a plane from where I live uh, up in a northern wooded area in Canada to, to New York. Um, uh, wh- you know, you're always sort of funny in the plane. You're by yourself. You have these funny thoughts. Uh, get a piece of paper. Get a funny pen. And um, uh, <laughs> think of those funny thoughts. And just write down everything that you think of. And that will be your monologue. Um, and that's what I did. Um, I-, I wrote down my funny thoughts on uh, my airplane ride. And uh, I think it turned out pretty good. So this... This is my comedy monologue written on my airplane trip here. Nice plane. Glad there isn't a fat guy sitting next to me. Boy, this is a good plan. I'll write down all my thoughts and ideas on this flight and make it my opening monologue. Let's start writing. Here we go. Going to write down some ideas. Here we go. Good plan. Wonder what ideas I'll think of. I bet they're going to be good. Can't wait for those ideas to start. Come on, ideas. Wonder what ideas I'll think of. Can't wait for those ideas. Oh, oh, here's an idea.
1: Um, Sorry, podcast listeners. Mr. McDonald's idea is a funny face and therefore useless to you. But from behind, it looks like he was squeezing his face to the side.
0: This is a good plan. Those funny ideas will start pouring in any second. Come on, ideas. I wonder... If I was a little less funny, would I be legally autistic? <laughs> oh, the plane is landing. That's the end of my opening monologue. <laughs> that was so much fun. I can do that more often. Uh, writing funny ideas on the plane. Uh, I think I'll do it again. Uh, that wondering if I'm autistic bit, I, I'm gonna put that in my real stand-up act. <laughs> uh, great. Uh, now I'm gonna do a comedy song um, uh, that I wrote um, on the way to the airport. Um, it's a comedy song about writing comedy songs because I'm running out of ideas for comedy songs. Every comic when he writes a song uses A and E, whether it's right or wrong, then he always takes a trip to B. And if you use the chord you should, it won't matter if it's good or funny, just don't move your hands to see. Took a wrong turn in my song, took a wrong turn in my song, played a chord that was real wrong, gotta find my way to A, take the river back to E, but I am stuck on C, gotta work my way to E, even if I change. Lab. People always make fun of guitar comics. People always make fun of guitar comics. And I don't play guitar well enough to be a guitar comic. Uh oh. Don't know what chords I'm playing. Only know they're not funny. They even have a hint of jazz and with jazz there's nothing funny as Coltrane and Bird I was writing a comedy song now I'm in jazz Hill Hey Hey I'm still an there Don't panic you'll get there everything will work out fine You'll get back to E. E. E, e and A. A and B, I love you, B. I'm back at writing my comedy song with E and A. You can't go wrong, you cannot just be funny and F sharp seven.
1: All right, everyone, and now it's part of the show where we do a new sketch from Kevin McDonald. Just remember, everyone, um, Kevin might have written some great sketches for his TV show, but the 90s were a long time ago.
0: (laughs) Uh, Thank you for warning them, um, uh, my golden voice announcer. And now, ladies and gentlemen, I would like to tell you a tale of murder. No, wait, sorry, that was last week. Uh, Tonight I'm gonna tell you a tale of salmon fishing. Oh, no, wait. I was right the first time. Murder! Definitely a tale of murder! It's a good tale. Even better than my last week's tale of my My aunt's varicose veins! And now our tale of murder begins. Creepy
1: music, creepy music, creepy music, creepy music. Sorry, we can't afford really creepy creepy music. music, Creepy music, creepy music. You'd be surprised how expensive creepy music is. Creepy music creepy music, music, creepy music, creepy music.
0: Well, Walt, I've been married to his wife, Walt, for 23 years. The middle-aged couple and their two children, Walt and Walt, seemed happy to their friends and family. Walt, the husband, always thought that he and his wife, Walt, had a lot in common, like the fact that both their names were Walt, as well as their two children. In his wife's case, Walt was short for Constance. They were in love at first, but over the years, he realized that their names were the only things they had in common, for they grew increasingly unhappy and would we'll fight about almost anything.
1: We see Walt the husband and Walt the wife in their kitchen, fighting.
2: Uh, uh, fuck you. Uh, general Jeb Stewart was a way better Confederate Civil War general than uh, General James Longstreet.
1: <laughs> okay, you can fuck your own ass, right? <laughs> Even a pinhead knows that General James Longstreet was a better Confederate Civil War general than
3: General Jeb Stewart.
2: Um, Even a pinhead would be a better Confederate Civil War general than General James Longstreet.
3: Uh, Oh, which pinhead? Uh, The one I'm fucking whenever you leave the house? Fuck you. Fuck you!
0: Walt, the wife, was kidding about sexual liaisons with a pinhead, but since there was a sexy pinhead who owned a garage in the neighborhood, Walt, the husband, never knew for sure.
1: We cut to a day later. Walt, the husband, sits at his kitchen table reading a newspaper.
0: Some marriages, like the marriage of the two Walts, go beyond thoughts of divorce to those of salmon fishing! I mean, murder! One day, Walt was angrily thinking of pinheads while reading the newspaper. In it, he read a story about a man who had killed his wife. Hmm. This is interesting. (laughs) The man had poisoned her food, but slowly and gradually over the course of a few months. At every dinner, he would unknowingly put a little more poison in her cream of tomato soup. She loved cream of tomato soup. Over the course of six months, more and more tomatoey poison got into her system. Her health got worse and worse until finally she died. The authorities could never figure out what killed her. The truth was discovered only when the husband went crazy with guilt and confessed.
2: I wouldn't go crazy with guilt. I'd I'd go crazy with non-guilt.
0: Horribly unhappy and wrongly blaming all of his misfortunes on his wife, Walt decided to do the same thing as the murderous husband. But he didn't realize how expensive poison was, as he found out at the rat poison store.
1: We go to a rat poison store, a store that just sells rat poison. They're getting very popular.
0: So,
4: sir, are, are you going to buy this rat poison or not?
2: <laughs> well, gee, I don't know. I mean, that's a. It's pretty expensive for three giant jars of rat poison, uh, don't you think?
4: Well, why do you need so much rat poison?
2: Because uh, I have a large 150 uh, pound rat under the house. Uh, no, that was, a, that was a pretty stupid excuse. Uh, because. Uh, I got about 65 normal-sized rats under the house. Yeah, Uh, that's that's a little stupid too. 65 rats, I counted them. Yeah, they stayed perfectly still to let me count them. So I know for sure it's 65 and uh, that's getting a little stupid again. Uh, But I'm not lying, I'm telling the truth.
0: Walt gave up on the poison idea, but decided to use the same principle of killing her gradually over time. Instead of poison, he would stab her over and over with a dull butter knife.
1: Uh, 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 what is that? <laughs> in their kitchen, the husband is hiding behind his wife, sneakily jabbing her in the arm with a small butter knife. <laughs> uh, it's, it's not really, um, you know, it's not really hurt, but it's a big, minor irritation. <laughs> Walt, the husband, quickly puts the butter knife away in his pocket before his wife sees it.
2: What's wrong, sweetness? I have this. uh, I have this little, little. uh, I I wouldn't say pain. uh, More like a weird feeling in, in my side. Well, I'm sure it'll go away, dear.
1: Walt ducks behind her, takes the butter knife out, and quickly jabs her two more times in the arm without her noticing it was him. Ow!
0: Ow! That night, the two Waltz went to bed.
1: The two of them are in bed. They appear to be asleep, but he suddenly sits up and jabs his wife's arm with the butter knife, two times again. Hides the knife and pretends to go to sleep. Ow! Ow! What the hell? Walt hides the knife and rubs his eyes, pretending to be waking up.
2: What is it, love? Uh, that little pain again? Or? Yeah,
0: it doesn't hurt. It's just so annoying in such a minimal way.
2: Mm. Well, just yeah, you know, I don't, you know, just just try to sleep, honey.
1: Uh, All right. She turns away from her husband, who quickly jabs her with the butter knife and pretends to sleep again. Ow! We cut to a nice park by the river. We see Walt and Walt, running in running gear, jogging down a path together. He is hiding his butter knife and occasionally quickly jabs her with it. (laughs) Without her knowing, it was him. Nice run. Very,
2: uh, Very nice. Ow. Run. It's just a beautiful path, this is. It's a very, ow, ow, uh, beautiful path. Hey, let's turn over here.
0: Ow, ow, ow.
2: It's happening again?
0: I am so full of mild, mild, minor annoyance right now. I I, I know, I know. It took longer than Walt expected, but finally, after being jabbed with a butter knife for an extended period of time, Walt's wife finally died.
1: We are now in the emergency room of a hospital. Walt the Husband stands talking to a doctor.
4: Your wife wife appears to have died of a prolonged minor pain. I'm sorry, but there was nothing I could have done for her, and not just because I'm a mediocre doctor. I, I think that even a very good doctor would have had a problem with this one. I'm sorry. Mr. Greenberg.
1: Another man, Mr. Greenberg, walks up to the doctor.
4: Your wife appears to have died of a big truck hitting her. I'm sorry, but there was nothing I could do, though I, I do think a better doctor would have done something better with this one.
0: Hard to say. I'm, I'm not good enough to know. The only trouble was that the butter knife process had taken so long. Walt was now 86 years old.
1: We see a now very, very old Walt sitting in a wheelchair holding a butter knife. He starts moving down the hall at a snail's pace.
2: I'm free. <laughs> I'm finally free. I can finally enjoy my life. In two hours I'll, I'll make it to the elevator and then I'm, I'm free. And then in uh, three or four hours, I'll, I'll make it to the bus stop. And then I'm free. And then in another two hours,
1: I'll... Walt uh, keeps wheeling himself away from us, all the while seeming to get nowhere.
0: Yay, that was my sketch that I just wrote. Don't be sad for me. Just remember my superior work from the 90s. Things even out. Thank you. And I'm going to interview my two amazing guests, Todd Barry and Judah Friedlander. Well, I'm just meeting for the first time.
2: Hey, man. (laughs) Good to meet you.
0: This is us meeting. We're meeting for the first time in front of you. That's kind of interesting.
3: Please leave your message.
0: Hello, listeners. I am very excited to tell you about our new sponsor, Mack Weldon. When I'm bored, I scream. When I'm excited, I speak calmly. I'm very excited about Mack Weldon being our new sponsor. And I wanted to call each and every one of you individually. But instead... I decided just to call into my own podcast because I'm a very busy man. Sorry, I got boring for a second. So, Mack Weldon is a premium men's essentials brand that believes in smart design and premium fabrics. Basically, it's a clothes store online for men. But you've never seen clothes like this, baby. I've never said baby at the end of a sentence before, but I was so excited. I'm going to say it again. Man, you've never seen clothes like this, baby. The man and the baby confuse it and, and, and they cancel each other out. I apologize for that. But you've never seen clothes like this, I swear! Mac Weldon is better than whatever you're wearing right now. That sounds a little pompous. Well, it's better than what I'm wearing right now. I just bought their pants and they're much better than my. Apparently, um, I wasn't wearing pants. They were gloves sewn together. I guess it's a practical joke from the other kids in the hall. I don't know. But Mac Weldon sells real pants and they're beautiful. Mac Weldon believes in smart design, premium fabrics, and simple shopping. Mac Weldon will be the most comfortable. Underwear, socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies and sweatpants, and more than you will ever wear. Right now I'm wearing three pairs of sweatpants. Uh, one in the top part of my body, one in the lower part of my body, and one on my feet. They want you to be comfortable. So if you don't like your first pair, you can keep it and then uh, they'll still refund you. Not only does Mack Weldon's underwear, socks, and shirts look good, they perform well too. You know, it's good for working out. Going to work, working out on dates, just working. Anything with the word work in it. Why would you work out on dates? I I do work out on dates. Go to MackWeldon.com and get 20% off using the promo code I'm about to tell you. What's the promo code? Kevin McDonald. It's just one word, Kevin McDonald. The K is capitalized, the M is capitalized, the D is capitalized. Kevin McDonald! I forget it already. What is it again? Oh, Kevin McDonald, one word. Thank you. <coughs> uh the Kitchen Hall, we started playing at a club in Spadina. Which one? The Oh, you probably know everything. Uh the Rivoli?
4: Uh, I know the Rivoli, it. yeah. I think I've
2: even eaten there.
0: Yeah, they have food.
2: <laughs> Sorry for getting so excited. What um was it all the the uh, was it any different cast members on the first? time you guys performed?
0: Yes, Uh, interview me. This is great. Um, Yeah.
2: I'm curious. I don't know. Turning the tables is so quickly in the
0: interview. Uh, Thanks for... uh, I brought these two comedy geniuses to interview me. Over the course of the years of the kids in the hall, there were uh, like 13 different kind of kids in the hall. Wow. Uh, you were there
2: at the first performance.
0: I was there at the first... uh, There were two troops, one in Calgary and one in uh, Toronto, but uh, Dave Foley and I are called the founding members only because our troop was named the kids in the hall. Uh, But Gary and Frank were as funny as any of us.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. Okay.
0: And Luch, Luch was a genius, but he suffered from stage fright. Really? Yes. He's like the guy, the Lenny Bruce guy. What's his name? Joe Ankist, uh, Who They say is, is like as funny as Lenny Bruce, but he couldn't perform. Oh, I don't know. You don't I know?
4: Actually, I don't know this guy who doesn't perform.
2: <laughs> For some reason, the guy that's never, never performed, we haven't heard of.
4: All the, time, all the times I've not performed, I haven't run into this guy while I was also not performing.
0: Do you guys have guys in your or people in your life that uh, that were really great and inspired you, but they can't perform and you can take their stuff?
2: <laughs> First oh. of all, I would never do that. <laughs> I would never take anybody's stuff. But do you and have guys secondly, good enough to do that? But no, I don't know anyone that stopped because they were we're on stage fright. When we're or, too, uh, yeah,
4: we're too unique.
0: I think it's
2: it
4: was
0: stage point. fright. Uh, Luch blamed Mark McKinney, but I think it was stage fright.
2: Yeah, I never understood people that. Continue to work and have stage fright. I don't. I know. I have off stage fright. I'm. I'm like. Yes. I'm much more nervous off stage than on yes, stage. Yes, I but have. But I, I don't understand people that get nervous before shows because I'm like. Well, you don't, don't get don't, nervous at all. If it's a show that I haven't. Uh, if it's a venue that I've maybe haven't done before, maybe mm. a little bit. But in general, it's the most relaxing thing I do. Wow. I'm kind of a, a a lot of anxiety off stage. Oh, I know. I'm a little know. nervous now because. You know, I don't. I don't do uh... interviews. Well, first of all, I got here a little late. I got here literally right before I walked on. That's so. the way to do it. Yeah. So, uh, but you know, no. Generally, it's it's the most. Do so you get time to be nervous?
0: I get the uh, as you saw me backstage. I get the 15 minutes before uh, stage time nervous. No. Yeah, you were unbearable. Yeah, that's no, true. It's true. I had a drink in front of you, and then I almost knocked over your glass of water.
4: Hey, it's cool.
0: Todd. <laughs> Todd, do you get nervous before a show?
4: I get uh, situationally nervous. What does that mean? Well, if I do like a a beautiful safe haven, like a little park slope room like this, not so nervous. (laughs) But there are times, you know, like if I do an occasional big theater-y type place. uh... Hi, everybody. Tim Heidecker here with huge news. We have...
2: You know, opening for someone. But if it's a club that you do on a weekly or nightly basis... Then I get... sleepwalk through it. Okay. All right.
0: <laughs> At the beginning of your okay. careers, you must have... Uh, every comic has a story where they open for a rock band, uh, and it was a horrible experience. Do you guys have any of those stories? This was not on the list. I just made up that question. I've
4: opened for a number of rock bands, but they're usually people I'm friendly with, and I, I kind of vet them. I don't just... Although I did open once for a jazz guy named Grover Washington Jr., that's cool. And uh, yeah, it was in Valley Forge at the Valley Forge Music Fair, which is like a spinning stage. And, uh, you know, I, I, they were a jazz, very polite jazz crowds, so I politely bombed. <laughs> I've
2: never been allowed to open for a band. Because it wouldn't make sense. I don't, I don't know the reasons, it's just politics. <laughs> the kids in the Hall, when we were uh, just starting out, we
0: uh, opened for a group uh, in the Alma Combo in Toronto. Do you know the Alma Combo? It doesn't matter. No. Nope. Um, a group called the Heroin Pigs. And the audience attacked us. Physically? Physically, yeah. I remember, I, I'm the one that got hurt, and I remember Dave Foley standing with the chair. Get away from him! Get away from him! Well,
4: I once got offered to open for the Beach Boys at Action Park in New Jersey on, on July 4th, and I turned it down, and then I, the guy... Why I do you got, hate
2: America, Todd? I know.
4: <laughs> Subtle plug for his Netflix special.
2: No. <laughs> I uh, turned it down, it wasn't, actually, but, I know that. but I was thanks talking. for throwing it in there.
4: <laughs> but I knew the guy who opened for him, and he got booed off the stage.
0: Really? A Beach Boy yeah, audience? Yeah, so I,
4: I called that one. Well, Beach Boy's at an amusement park on July 4th. And it's probably uh, They're daytime. probably not going to be like, hey, let's watch some comedy really politely. Yeah.
0: <laughs> oh, we did a New Year's Eve show at the Royal York where the Beatles stayed in 1964, and uh, right before we went on, the, the band was coming off, and they said, uh, Ricky Nelson, the, the next act, just died. Have a good show, guys. And then it was New Year's Eve, and it was like 10 p.m., but the, the whole audience kept yelling, uh, balloons, balloons, because they had balloons uh, above us that they were going to release, and it was a horrible show, and my dad was there, and he, um, he yelled at me. Uh, during or after the dur- show? During, well, actually, when we went on, before they started booing, uh, first people applauded, and then my drunk dad uh, got up and said, uh, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree! I'm the tree!
4: And... <laughs> hey. He, made, he was very clear with that.
0: You yeah. <laughs> <laughs> want to make sure people understand. you <laughs> don't know that expression. If
4: you don't know that expression. It's if you know that
0: expression it's I would be up. the tree in this scenario. <laughs> He's the guy on stage bombing is the apple. Uh, the apple doesn't fall for the tree. Um, uh, I saw your special. I, uh, I'm only writing because I'm old. And I get, America's the greatest country in the United States. And yeah. I loved it. I'm not even Thanks, lying. Thanks, man. I Thanks. loved
2: it thanks a lot
0: uh, uh, there uh, <laughs> the, and it was like done over a few years is that true like the it says um,
2: most of it was done this past spring some of it's from last year I filmed uh, it's done a little more of um, there's no interviews in it but it's done a little more of a documentary style it yeah. kind of looks a little more like a, you know like a punk rock uh, music video from the 70s or a Jim Jarmusch movie from like the early '80s in its style. So it reminds me of Manhattan, where
0: Woody Allen takes his bad date out to like uh, to see. uh, uh, see That was
2: not an inspiration. Sorry. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, no, it's just I you know I think stand up comedy is a very uh, it's very simple art form technologically, and so I I wanted to film it in a very simple way. So I. Sometimes it was just little cameras that I put up in the room that I used, and sometimes I had some different camera people there. Wow! But uh, yeah, so I, I made it all myself, and then uh, when it was done, I shopped it around, and then uh, so then Netflix really? picked it up. Really? Yeah. So I keep putting my mic up for one word things. It's it's fine. <laughs> Really? I find it exciting.
0: So. <laughs> hey, That's if you neat. want us to hear that one word. I do. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm the I'm the tree. And you're from Crowdwork. I haven't seen it. Where do I see it? How do I see it? What do I do? It's on
4: iTunes. But oh, I have a I new do. special coming out. Uh,
0: what is it? 26th. What's the name of it? It's
4: called Spicy Honey. <laughs>
0: That's a great name.
4: I didn't expect that to get like a standing ovation right now. <laughs> it's just the title of my special. <gasps> when, when does I'll, it come out? It comes out December 26th, Boxing Day. <laughs> do America...
0: I thought Americans didn't know what Boxing Day was.
2: Uh, we don't. <laughs> On purpose, but we don't uh, celebrate it.
0: Because we're like British, and we uh, we being yeah. Canadians, and we mm-hmm. sort of uh, we sort of celebrate Boxing Day. Mm-hmm. But how do you know about it then? Have you even heard of it? A lot of Americans. Has anyone here not heard of Boxing Day? Really? Not
2: well, it's usually the- on our calendars, but nobody knows yeah. what it is.
0: Is it on calendars? Yeah, it's, yeah, on, it's on all it's the on-
2: calendars, but no one really ever explains it. So then you have to kind of look it up or ask your friends.
0: Yeah. Boxing Day, and why do the British celebrate it again?
2: That neither of us know. <laughs> But that's why
0: you're on the show. I don't understand. You don't know that. Isn't
4: it good enough that we'd even heard of it?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I could live with that. I could celebrate that. <laughs> uh, can I do a bad segue of something I said uh, 45 seconds ago?
2: I'm actually a fan of bad segues. Yeah.
0: Speaking of crowd work.
2: I love it. Nice. I
0: said crowd work a while ago. Uh, you guys both specialize. I mean, you're known for it, but your special seems to be all like a lot of crowd work. Yeah, I mean, I guess... Uh... I don't know what my question is. I don't
2: know. It seems like, I don't know, Doesn't when that kill I started you? or before I started, it seemed like, I don't know, it didn't seem like crowd work was a, a rare thing. It seems like it's, I don't know, is it a rarer thing now? I, I don't it's know. It's a rare
0: thing because you, you, you've done it well and made it an art. Uh-huh. Before it was like a normal comedy thing. Like well, you well yeah, you off don't want to do it in
2: a hacky way. And, you know, Todd, Todd's always brilliant and and how he does it, and, you know, when well, I... You don't have to tell these people. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. Uh, that's why they're here. Well, I want to, to make sure you knew that, you know, so... Uh, but, you know, when, when I started, I was always... My act was always very joke-heavy, you know, one-liner heavy, and it was uh, always very crowd-work crowd, crowd work heavy. You know, when I... Bef- you know, before I... You know, when I was a kid, you know, I always liked, uh, you know, comics that did a lot of one-liners as well as crowd-work. So, I don't know, I just... And, I don't know, doing crowd work is, uh, it's fun, you know, I think it makes it, you know, it's live entertainment, you know, so you might as well. Does it make you
0: nervous? Like, that what's no. making me more nervous. like
4: well, my current tour is all crowd work.
0: Yeah,
2: that's crazy! Yeah. I know it is. It's less crazy? to prepare. I
0: mean, it's, it's less yeah, to it's, for, yeah. that's good. Yeah, you yeah. don't have to... But you never it, think right before you go on, what if I don't think of anything funny?
4: Um, I do worry about that, but you just, you just, uh, my crowds are, tend to be pretty sweet, so I, they're forgiving and...
0: And they know you're good at it, and so uh, it right. buys you the first five minutes. And the first five minutes, you're relaxed enough, then you get really good. If you yeah, weren't. and there's
4: enough uh, people, you know. If you talk to someone and they're boring, you just politely move on, <laughs> after telling them how m- how boring they are.
0: <laughs> May I tell the audience uh, the boring crowd work story with you and I that I uh, reminded you sure. of? Sure, it's boring. Let uh, rip. <laughs> <laughs> what is it? Two years ago, uh, the San Francisco Sketch Fest, they asked me to do a show that Todd was doing. I either forgot or they didn't tell me that was crowd work. So backstage, uh, I, I saw Todd, and I said, oh, I'm really proud. Usually, um, uh, a thing like this, I wouldn't do anything new, but I'm going to do something new. And there was a pause, and the Todd said, this is a crowd work show. And I died. Uh, I got really nervous, because I can't... Even though I'm an improviser, as I was That's saying back... a different skill, it's different, I would imagine. Because right, crowd work, yeah. you have to improvise jokes. Correct. I can go in and improvise. And you can go on a long time trusting that someone's going to be... That it's going to lead to some well, kind of comedy. Yeah,
2: I mean, uh, I guess with... With stand-up, when you're doing crowd work, I mean, it, the audience is kind of your, your teammate, really, you know. Uh, and when you're improvising, it, it's whoever your exactly. partner is on stage is your teammate, really. I, I you guess, did so very well so. that night, by the way. Yeah.
0: Well, thank But I, I cheated. Uh, I panicked. I call, Dave Foley was in town, and he was uh, very, very sick. And I called him. His hotel was like 10 minutes away, and he was in his pajamas. And I said, Dave, come here. Oh, yeah. I said, uh, they've asked me to do crowd work. And Dave said, Jesus Christ, really? <laughs> Because he knows me well, right? He said, "Uh, Don't worry, I'm getting off my pajamas. I'll be right down there. And then we did it together. But again, it consisted of me being in the mic, uh, being with the mic and the audience, pointing to, uh, asking them the questions, them saying the answer, then Dave coming up with a joke. Well, that's all part of it. That's all part of it. Well, I say, uh, That's a good joke, Dave. Very funny.
2: Did you start as more. I think, see, that's. It works. Uh, Um, I guess this is crowd work in a way. Did. did you start mostly as sketch or as improv, or both?
0: Uh, we, uh, improv. I started, uh, I was kicked out of acting, I've said this many times in the podcast, after three months, because they said I was a one-legged actor, even though the guy that kicked me out, the dean, was a one-legged actor, because a lighting grid had fallen on his leg doing a production of Pippin. Oh, wow. Doing a production of Pippin, a lighting grid, and he was limping around me, telling me I was a one-legged actor. But anyway, they got me into Second City. <laughs> I feel like
4: I want to hear more of that story. <laughs> He, he had a lisp
0: too, and he was limping. So you're a one-legged actor. You're good at comedy, but we here like two-legged actors here at Humber College. And then then he kicked me out. But then the improv teacher, he got me into the Second City workshops, and he was. What, is uh, it,
2: what does it feel like to have a one-legged person call you a two-legged person, a one-legged person? Because that well, seems like a real moment. That mind is a pot fuck. calling the kettle yeah. black scenario yes. if there ever was one. Yeah.
0: Well, you got two emotions. Because first, you're going through sadness. You have to tell your, like, you're going home. You're 18. You have to tell your mother she was right. I made the wrong choice. I can't act. And the other thing, you're going, that's ironic and kind of funny.
4: Because
0: right. <laughs> I know that he's a one legged actor. <laughs> but it was like two emotions at once.
4: Yeah. My acting teacher in college, they, he wrote a, like, a, what do you call it? A uh, review of your sort of a critique. And he said, other than enthusiasm, I had nothing. And I was thinking about that when I was at the Venice Film Festival with the wrestler.
3: <laughs>
4: yeah, we, we won those. You and I beat our teachers. We beat our teacher.
0: Uh, here's a question. You guys are both in great, mo- at least one great movie. like Real great movies that will go down in American history. Uh, you're both in The Wrestler, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you're in um, uh, that great movie that I forget the name of. because American I- Splendor. I love probably. that movie! Yeah. Uh, sorry, I forget yeah. the name. What does it yeah. feel like to be in a great movie? Like I was only in Brain Candy and, um, and Lilo and Stitch. <laughs> no, I wasn't fishing. What's it like to be in a real great movie that's going to be remembered forever? What's that feel well,
2: like? You didn't even remember the name of the movie that you were talking about. From Besides mine, me, so, the other
0: people, the real. So
2: people. I don't, I don't know if that's a legit question or not. Um, it
0: is a great. You no, know, it's
2: just you know I, I, try, I I hate show business, so I always try to not look at the business and just try to, right. you know, not in a pretentious way, just. But not the business do, part, do the, art and the, do the art the art part stuff. of it, I was yeah. A great so movie. you know, I, making a good movie is really hard, and I think to make a good one, literally every you know filmmaking is a col- a very collaborative art form so to do it well um really every department has to do a, a fantastic job you know like if if the clothing is a little bit off you know if it doesn't look like it's been worn it looks like they just bought it at a store that could fuck up your whole scene yeah. or if the lighting is not good etc so so i don't, i think american splatter was one of those rare ones cause i i actually like that one i think it was one of the rare ones where where everyone did a very thoughtful and uh you know and really worked hard and did, did a really good job so it kind of all just came together nice yeah
0: and you don't think about it. You don't go around thinking. well, no, it's I was just in the not, It's I just a treat
2: here? to work with people who are, you know, who care and who are competent. Because throughout know, life, I think in most jobs, no matter what it is, whether it's in showbiz or outness, most people don't really care or try to do a good job. So, so it's great. Yeah.
4: One of the unexpected advantages of being in the wrestler was it gave me something to talk about with morning radio people. <laughs> <laughs> just, I would just uh, when they whenever start their cheesy, thing, go, "Hey, I was in the wrestler want Oh, I, thought I was in the wrestler." and then you talk about that then you leave
0: <laughs> I was in Galaxy Quest <laughs> and it was alright oh people like that brought people like it it's
2: a good movie but like uh, well, that's it's kind of a classic
0: but 20 years from now people go oh yeah I think I saw that where you, your movies were go anyway I'm not jealous well, I don't know anything. I'm not know Okay, Uh, when I was 17, I knew that I was funny, but I knew that I wasn't stand-up funny. Uh, That's why I didn't know what to do. I didn't know Second City taught workshops. I didn't learn that after I got kicked out by the one-legged actor. Uh, So I went to acting only because
2: I had to do something that was like that. If you had no legs, you could have started comedy earlier.
0: Exactly. That's a great job.
2: Yeah. (laughs) You would have started at 16, probably.
0: Yes. Uh, <laughs> so uh, but when did you know the you? first of all when did you guys know you were funny and second of all th- this boring stuff that interests me when did you know specifically was a stand up kind of funny
2: um, well I don't know that's it's sort of a dumb question it doesn't no mean... not a dumb it puts me in an awkward spot where I, I think no matter how I answer I'll come off as like arrogant or whatever but it's like I used to do uh, you know I always did a lot of art and when I was in Sixth grade, I used to do my own political cartoons, and and uh, so I, I and I guess I was always interested in comedy on, on some level. And then when I was a kid, you know, I think when I was like thirteen or something, there was actually an AM twenty four hour. Uh, this is probably like eighty two or something. A, a twenty four hour comedy channel on the radio, and uh, so you know, usually I walked to school, but every once in a while I'd get a ride, you know, from my dad and. You know, I remember one time, like, Don Rickles was on, and then someone else was on, and so I was, like, learning about all this stuff, and I, you know, I thought it was wild, but it never occurred that I can do it. And then when I was 16, I don't think you were ever on this show, but I'm sure you knew the show, uh, Comedy Tonight with Bill Boggs. Do you remember that show? Was that
4: the one they did in, in Hamilton, Canada, that one, or something like
0: that?
2: No, no, that was oh, done in New York or Jersey.
0: Mean. With Pete booty
4: Pete Barbuti, no. No. Did, did, did I did conference? one in Canada where they they said, oh, you can curse, don't worry. We'll just we'll deal with it. But what they didn't tell you is that they put a s- sound effect over your cursing. <laughs> and they also had dubbed in laughter. And it was like, you know, 100 people in the audience. So you'd s- tell a joke, you'd be like, yeah, then I k- kicked him in the.
2: <laughs> <laughs> sorry. I, I, so, no, no, no. So when I was 16, my parents were very strict, and I, I wasn't allowed to stay up late. And so this was 1985. And a, uh, so we got a VCR that year I remember it was a junior high school I get a VCR and that you know I'd look on the TV guide this is all pre-internet and we didn't have cable either so but this the show it said comedy tonight it would come on at like 2 30 in the morning so I didn't know what it was so I programmed the VCR and I taped it and it was all comics I think it was done in, it must have been filmed in New York or Jersey at a studio it was all comics that you hadn't heard of before guys like John Mulroney were on it a lot uh Bob Saget was on it before he had done any TV stuff. Uh, Wayne Cotter, Alan Havey, uh So uh, so, so that's when they and they would actually say, so where are you performing? And then they'd say, oh, I'm uh, at Caroline's Comedy Club this year, you know, this weekend. And so that was the first time I realized you could do that. Like I didn't know before you'd see, you know, I don't know, Steve Martin or Bob Hope and it never occurred to you that you can do that. And then so that's when I was 16. So then I started writing jokes. So then I, then I, I was very introverted and, and, and shy, so then I, uh, but so I started when I was 19, doing open mics when I was 19. But I, but when I was 16, that's when I realized, oh, that's something you can do. I want to do that. Yeah.
4: I started in Florida. I had, I had always been a fan of comedy, and I watched shows like the ones you talked about, and, and like the Merv Griffin show, and people all you know, like the sort of when they would introduce a Bright young comic, they would always do that. And it was like an unknown, and then this. But then you'd see people like Letterman. Like I saw Letterman do stand up. G. Lennon. Oh, yeah, wow. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool. I never. So did. I used to see him on talk shows, but I never wanted to do stand up. And then I used, to, I just used to go to these open mics during the comedy boom of the '80s in Florida, and you could literally what,
2: call up. What what clubs was it that you were going to? Do you remember? Well, about? I
4: made my debut at a place called Coconuts Comedy Club. Nice.
2: <laughs>
4: yes, so you it, would just go check out the open mics Yes, it wasn't a Howard Johnson's. Yeah. <laughs> Was it? it was at Howard Johnson's Hotel, yes. <laughs> I know that makes the story less interesting. More interesting. But, um, yeah, I would, well, it, the way they did the open mics back when I started, they would do it during their regular headliner show. So they'd have, like, five or six open micers and the, he- the touring headliner. So it was a mix of a professional yes, show but there was, and like an show. was, like, a real crowd show. like there. Right. And it wasn't, like, comics performing for other comics waiting to go on. Right. It was an actual audience. And uh, I just said, oh, I should try this. And you're know, I- you could literally call up and go, I want to be a comedian tomorrow. And they go, oh, let me see. Yeah, we have room. All right, we'll see you. And so
2: I did that, and uh, and your first killed it. <laughs> your first time on, how many minutes did they give you? I did five. Cool. Yeah.
0: Cool. Is that a lot for an open mic? Is usually well, I,
2: usually I think that's the general. That's I, did, a, of standard, I yeah. did an open mic. First place I ever went up was technically in D.C. at, at a place <laughs> called Garvin's, which isn't open anymore. And uh, so they had an amateur night, I think, once a week. And uh, and again, they had a real audience there. It was, you know, probably, I don't know, 30, 40 people. And I, uh, right before I go on stage, this is like 11 o'clock, I got there at six to sign up. And I'm just (laughs) nervous, just going to the bathroom, going to the parking lot, just going over my act over and over again. Because when you start, you have no fucking clue what you're doing. You know, you're supposed to be on stage for five minutes. And right before I go on, he goes, I'm cutting you to three. I'm like, fuck, what do I do? So, but I realized, at the time, I didn't realize it, but he was just trying to get all the comics on because the audience was starting to like, peter out. And so, yeah, so that was the first time I did it. So it was supposed to be five, but it was three. Uh,
0: comics always tell me the same story with a different ending. Uh, they always tell me this. Um, uh, the first time they went on, they killed, and then they thought, oh, I can do this forever, and the second time they did it, they bombed. And half the people that tell me the story are stand-ups and half the people that tell me the story are people that became writers because they didn't like bombing. Oh, yeah. well, Someone just said, "Oh, so what's your story? Uh, the first time uh, you did, uh, is that, do you have a similar story to this story?" Uh, actually, yeah, I did. <clears throat> excuse me,
4: quite, <laughs> quite well. Well, the first time, just because it was a pumped audience, and I, and it, whatever. That's just sometimes. You can do well. It's like people that
0: play poker for the first time always win, and never again.
4: Right, and then I mean, to be fair to me, I probably did well the second time also. Yeah. But sorry to fuck up your little pattern thing. Yeah, you know, yeah. that's my story. Yeah. You're really sorry. You my... got the theory that I'm supposed to uh, yeah. you know, support you on, but I, uh, yeah. But yeah, since then I've had you know disgusting bombs. You know.
0: <laughs> Thank you. Uh, do you have um, a similar story? Well, the
2: first time I went on, I remember it just felt. Uh, it just felt right. It felt uh, warm. It felt like home. It just felt right, and I did okay. I did. I, I did some really dirty stuff. I remember. I remember. And I and I got some laughs. It wasn't like, you know, horrendous. It wasn't uh, great, but I but I did get some laughs. And then I didn't do it again for six months because I had no idea how it worked. Uh, like like the people that were on Letterman, I really thought maybe they had done it ten times before. And I, I and then Letterman happened to be in the back of the club watching, and I, I, I had no clue how the business worked. So I loved it, and I didn't do it again for six months because I thought that was the normal schedule of a comedian that you that you go on for five minutes every six months, and then and then eventually you just go on talk shows. I had no idea how it worked. So the second time I did great; it, it, it was really good. And then, uh, but, but when it's uh, you know you know the first. Surely, I think the first few years, or maybe even more, it's you know there'd be great sets and sets that aren't as good, but it's a little more of a you know I mean it, in addition to just getting much better as you go along, but but also I think you know I, I, I usually did well, but it, you're, you're you, you know less consistency. Have you ever when, bombed when you on TV? A, on TV. Oh, good question. Uh, yeah. And then we'll ask you, but you answer first. <laughs> no, I had a really awkward one once. It was it was late Friday.
4: Well, everyone bombed on that show.
2: Okay, but it was weird because it was, the audience was paid. It was, it was paid background <clears throat> extra actors, but they didn't tell you that. So I go on, and I, it's a, I'm doing a one-liner, so there's, you know, half a sentence, and then another sentence. I take the pause, and then everyone just starts laughing like crazy. <laughs> but that was the setup. <laughs> And I was like, what the fuck is going on? I didn't know what was going on. And then I say the punchline and nobody laughs because they were still laughing at the setup, which wasn't funny and wasn't supposed to be funny. So after about three minutes of just fucking bizarreness and not doing very well, the crowd actually, they, they started actually settling in and actually listening and, and instead of just, I mean, they were trying to help out, but they, they weren't. So they, were, they were doing the opposite, so... That was pretty weird. That was. Strange. But, but stand-up on, on TV, TV in general is is not good, I think. It's just a weird setup. You must it's, get
0: nervous before going on TV. Maybe not anymore but in the, the early days. I
2: don't even really do stand-up on TV anymore. I haven't even tried in like 10 years. But uh, I, I don't know. I'm thinking of trying it again. I don't know. Did you, you do more than Bombing. Yeah,
4: I bombed on my second time on Cone, and I, it was a little quiet. <laughs> was it a stand-up or a panel? It was a stand-up. Okay. And I really thought they would never book me again, but they have. But yeah, so it was, it was one well. of those things where I practiced this head four times the night before, and it was like, oh, that killed, it's, it's locked in. And then you get up there, and you're like, ooh. <laughs> and then once in London, I bombed really hard. Um, there was a show that I had done before once, and it went very well, so they brought me back to do it again. And it was like 10 comics, and the audience had been there for hours. And the guy introduced me, the MCs, like, you know, you're going to recognize this guy. I mean, you're going to recognize this guy's... Voice once he starts talking that he's not from here, something along those lines. <laughs> so they're already like set up to like listen to how I talk. And yeah. then, I, and I was the only American, and then uh, it was a little rough. But I actually, the way I handled it was I told the audience by then, you know, by then I had bombed a number of times, so you sort of knew what you were, how to get out of it. This whole story is very right.
2: uncomfortable, Tom.
4: No, it's, it, it's a, it has a happy ending. <laughs> okay. Oh, okay, continue. continue. I, uh, Sorry. Sorry, continue. I just told the audience that I go, I'm going to play for the camera and I'm going to act like I'm doing well because then i because i knew they would edit it and then i would probably end up look like i was doing well so i would just tell the joke they wouldn't laugh and i would just act <laughs> like
0: you waiting for laughter <laughs>
4: and that's great but all these comics like after i bombed cuz it was the only i was the only person who bombed on the whole show and these all these comics like ran up to me like it's gonna it's gonna cut well it's gonna be they're gonna edit that well don't worry about it I was, like, I was like yeah I, I, I and how so. did it How was i playing? i
0: never saw it oh okay <laughs> Maybe it looks like shit. Maybe they never even aired it. <laughs> you don't have to see it. The Kitson Hall uh, really bombed on David Letterman. Um, in the early 2000s, we were on our comeback tour. And uh, we were on Letterman and we did our our sketch. Do you know our sketch where we're playing poker and um, we all talk about that we want to be women? Four people. That's good. It's like one of our like hit singles for the for the cult people <laughs> that like the Kitson Hall. And so we're on it and it's a Letterman audience and um, it doesn't get one laugh. Like not even allow, I'm not even exaggerating. He doesn't get anything. And then I remember at the end, David Letterman looked confused, and he said, that was the kids in the hall. And then he wanted to walk over to us, but the curtain, I didn't know they had a curtain. I didn't know the letterman started, the curtain started going down, and David Letterman sort of waved. <laughs> and it was the worst experience ever.
2: Wow. <clears throat> did, um, did any staff talk to you afterwards, or did they just leave you guys alone? They left us alone. Yeah. That's the other weird part about a bomb is often is that no one no one wants to talk to you or be near you. It's it's like you're just total poison, so they just yeah. try to and that's even weirder.
4: Except when you're bombing <clears throat> occasionally you hear someone go, ha 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 and that's always a comic in the back. I mean, Who's no, totally enjoying that. They so they're fake. legitimately doing that. Like the yeah, they're was, legit was. I mean they're kinda like either enjoying that you're bombing or letting you have this sort of lone laugh
0: that makes really accentuates the fact that you're bombing <laughs> i remember one writer who was probably a comic came and said uh i liked it i don't know what went wrong and that sort of made us feel worse who said that one of the writers who was probably a stand-up comic i liked it i don't know what went wrong yeah it's hard because he if someone says hey no you, you did good and you're like
4: come on
2: we both yeah know that's, I didn't do well. yeah that's uh it's better just to say you know don't worry about it you know or whatever, you know, but but when you do something like that, it almost makes you feel worse when they say yeah. something like that. Because
0: it's yeah. so honest. I don't know what went wrong.
2: Yeah, yeah, we don't know what went wrong. No, but just when they say, I liked it, you yeah, know. I like, yeah, yeah. That's worse. They're, they're admitting that everyone hated it, you, you know. Because it, they're inflecting the word they I. May as well just, I liked it. Yeah, they may as well just said to you, everyone hated you. Yeah. They should have just said that, <laughs> you know. Something. Everyone yeah.
0: hated it but me.
2: Yeah. Thank you.
0: Uh, I find the loneliest feeling in the world uh, is the five minutes before I go on and this is not even just doing stand-up or the, even with the kids in the hall even when we're all together I feel very, very lonely and I want to talk about this with comics do you guys get this lonely feeling? Like I just feel alone in the world and, and nothing is good and nothing in my life is good and uh, no matter how good I am I won't make my life better <laughs>
4: I, um, really I've never lonely. experienced that
0: <laughs> Is that just I me? Mean, I mean, not right
2: before I never, I, mean, I felt I, lonely on the road is you're the problem, yeah I, I, I actually feel that way most of the time. So. It's, like it's, uh, off stage in real life. Yeah. So it's not that. It uh, used to depress me, but now I'm I. I kind of know that's the deal. So it it just I'm kind of used to it. I don't know if that's good, but. Uh, have you toured alone ever? I have. Let's it's, hear about.
0: It's horrible. It's it's horrible uh, because um, when I go to a st- when I play a theater the uh, and then my act you have to know it's me. Because I'm pretending that I'm Kevin McDonald, a sketch comic, trying stand-up comedy for the first time. And then I sort of do it bad on purpose. So if you don't know who I am, I'm just an old guy on stage doing badly. And, <laughs> and I did, have a, I did a, a Yuck Yucks. You guys know Yuck Yucks. Sure. No, I
2: did one or two of them. Once.
0: Yuck yeah. Yucks, they're dying. but they're, I did one in Calgary just a couple of years ago. And um, I remember halfway through, I was stupid. I was, I, I was feeling brave and I wrote a 20-minute new bit. That was dying because, like, the audience has to hear this idea. I wrote it that afternoon. The audience, I'd be selfish to keep it to myself. I have to
2: <laughs> tell an the amazing audience. amount of confidence.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and I have to tell the audience. And so the first show it actually did okay. And the second show it was uh it was 11 p.m. Uh, it was full of people under 30. And this is just a couple years ago, so they didn't know who I was. They'd come for the club, not me. And halfway through the act, because they're Canadian, she kind of said it politely, uh, but she said. For God's sake, tell us jokes.
2: Sometimes audiences are What do you the mean opposite. they didn't know who
0: you are? Uh, well, I think a lot of them didn't know who I was. I, I you think were at a
2: comedy the, club, so they're just going to the comedy yeah, show.
0: They, were, they weren't the right age to you know the kids and all. I know oh, okay. Canadian, I know we're the Beatles of Canada, but they didn't know. know who I was. <laughs> yeah.
4: That's like if I didn't get a good reaction in Williamsburg or something.
0: <laughs> it's different. It's a comedy club is a different country of its own. Well, uh, also,
2: different comedy clubs are different than others, you know. Yeah, Yuck Yucks is not are, a kids in a hall. Some are, are horrendous and skew kind of dumb, you know, or kind of bigoted, you know, and then others don't as much. So, there, are really varies.
0: For God's yeah. sake, tell us jokes. And yeah. so, I said, knock knock. And she said, who's there? And then I say, uh, I. And she said, I who? And I said, I don't know any knock knock jokes. And I got a big laugh. And then I went back to my regular material.
2: So, they like knock knock jokes. They friend. like knock <laughs> so. So you I smoothed think, it over with her. I, I smoothed it over. <laughs> I think you're being too hard on yourself. I ad libbed that knock knock joke. Yeah. I
0: ad libbed it. Some
2: audiences actually don't like jokes. Really? Yeah. If you're doing jokes, sometimes they're 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 not smart enough to make that mental leap and figure out where the joke is. Really? Sometimes you, there are some crowds that only like like like, of- like you know telling stories that they can or observations that you can relate to. It's really weird. You like know. a hipster
0: kind of place, or just not? You're not talking no, about that at all?
2: No, just, you know, it's random crowds. Sometimes they're just like, you know, they just want to hear. Stuff they can relate to, like, oh yeah, I noticed that too. You know, instead right, of right. Just like, instead Does this like ever happen liners. to you? That's sort of a joke kind of thing. Right, right, right. right. Yeah. So it's you know.
0: Uh, let's just talk about stand-up comedy, and they're going to yeah. tell me any minute that it's it's over. But but I'm yeah. so interested in boring things. But they're not oh. boring. They're interesting. Oh, that's just Thank interesting you for defining us as boring.
4: <laughs> <laughs> thirty years, I guess. I've been boring. I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, thirty years of comedy. Like what? What are you doing for that? Are you I having a party? What oh, is that? The the the, the special.
4: Oh, no, I did, I did a show at the Bell House. Oh, really? It was awesome, according to. Todd, uh, now
2: I have a question. The 30 years, is that from the first time you went on stage? Good question. Was yes, it from and, when you and first, the show I did at the Bell, Bell House was,
4: No, no, the first... time you went on stage. The, first, the Bell House show was the actual 30th anniversary of my first open mic Oh, that's awesome. Did
0: you do a greatest hits in, like, in tribute to the 30 years, or did you do... Um, no, I, I didn't do my first five minutes or anything. <laughs> Although that would
4: have been That funny. would have been a I good idea. That would have been really
0: fun. Somewhere there's a cassette with that.
4: <laughs> it's probably in a storage unit. Your in parents have it somewhere. Yeah.
0: Uh, the kitchen hall did a, a 24th anniversary because we weren't going to be together the 25th. We did 24th anniversary 10 years ago, and we. This is no good story. I'm just talking about myself. And we did. Uh, I like it so. Thank far. you very much.
2: And we did. I think di- it's unusual to have a 24th anniversary. Well, we also so. thought it was I'm, kind of I'm funny. I'm hooked from it the is beginning fun. of the story.
0: <laughs> well, It's the best part of the story. We um, did all. All we did was the old sketches that never made it to TV, and I wouldn't say bombed even though it was an audience, it was like we did it at our own small club so only 100 people got in. We advertised it that morning and um, and they were so hyped up and then we did these sketches they never saw. and They just were very... Like we did uh, Farmers and Heroin, which is basically just farmers shooting up and then... Uh, <laughs> I like that one. That's no a good hat. deep cut. <laughs> we All we did was deep cuts. Uh, yeah, I can't think of any else. That, that, farmers and Heroin. <laughs> we did... We oh yeah, I can't say that because it's 2017. I won't say that cuz it's politically incorrect, but we did that. It was, it was less politically incorrect t- uh, 10 years ago. You guys both have very strong comedy personas. How do you develop that over the years? Do you think um, do, you th- do you work on it? Do you think oh what's my persona is going to be? Does it come naturally? Like uh, I didn't me me realize that. I had one until people started
4: like doing impressions of me back to me. And I was like, "God, I hope that's not a good impression." <laughs> But, you know, I mean, I, I've listened to old albums of mine, and I'm mortified. I mean, the jokes are amazing, but the way I deliver them. <laughs> the jokes are like, wow, that's good. The way you said it, though, I don't like it. It sounded very, I don't know.
0: Well, I went on YouTube, and I saw the Letterman thing where you were on the phone at 18. Oh. And that sounds, I mean, it's a higher-pitched voice, but it, uh, it's exactly like you are now. It's as funny as you are now. You, you should learn- tell
4: people about that, because they don't know what you're talking about. Oh, I'm sorry. I
0: know what you're talking about. Well, uh, Does anyone know what I'm talking about? What did you tell them? Oh, okay. Thank you very much.
4: Doing work for me. I uh, I wrote a letter to Paul to Letterman when I was 18 years old in 1982 during their viewer mail segment, and I told him that I did a Paul Schaefer impression, and that they could either fly me to New York, and I would do it, or they could call me, and he
0: called me on the air. And you're very funny, and you're like Todd Barry on it, even though you're 18. I was, I was kind of a wise-ass to him, yeah. yeah. Had you done your first open night yet? Oh, no, that was before
4: I ever even considered being a comedian. When
0: you did that and you heard the laughs on the TV, if, uh, if you recorded, uh, did you say, oh, was that the impetus to say, oh, I can do comedy? Uh, no, I didn't start till like five years after that. Really? Yeah. So that was just a thing that you thought of? And, yeah. you never, and you never connected the dots to go oh, maybe I'm a comic. He was going to be a phone prank comic first. <laughs> <laughs> I invented crank yankers before <laughs> it was. Uh... <laughs> I remember crank yankers. Uh what about your persona? Was that well, something that came naturally? It's
2: yeah, it's it's a mix of thinking of stuff and natural progression and it, and it keeps changing, you know. Uh you know, I used to do uh it's probably twenty-some years ago. I used to do a lot of. I was obsessed with the Guinness Book of World Records when I was a kid, <laughs> and I, I saw. So I don't know. Probably early '90s. I did a lot of jokes about all these ridiculous athletic achievements and world records that I had broken. So and I always did a lot of art and stuff. So I I was making my own hats, and I made one that said "Record Breaker," and that would sort of lead into my some of my, you know, Guinness Book of World Record jokes that I was doing. And and then I thought it would be funny to make a hat that said. Uh, world champion, but uh, not of what. And uh, like people would be like, who is this idiot wearing a hat that says world champion, but it doesn't say of what. And then that would, so that would kind of draw the audience into me to ask questions. And I like doing a lot of crowd work too, and it would feed into some of my one-liners about these athletic achievements and stuff. So at first it started, it was kind of making fun of uh, both this sort of the bragging type person, you know, the show off, right. and then, and also the uh, the narcissistic uh, person you know so and it started then morphing more into sort of you know on probably a more subversive way than would than you call Albert. it satire what you yeah. do yeah i don't know i mean now it's much more satire right. than then but uh but you know sort of making fun of the because i remember MySpace was starting you know then it started shifting so it was really you know kind of a comment on narcissism and stuff and then uh about and it kept changing and stuff and then it sort of became not a bragging character but actually a real life superhero. Like these are American. Aren't, it's like, these about being yeah, American. yeah, these aren't brags. This is actually some kind of superhuman who's actually speaking very humbly, you know, and then sort of, a, a comment on why do we look up to people? Why do we heroize people? You know? And then about seven or eight years ago, I started doing a lot of shows in Europe and that's when I kind of, uh, cause I was always big into human rights and political issues. And, and that's when I, uh, started to see the U.S. better and more clearly. It's kind of like if you're in a bad relationship, you can't see it, and all your friends are like, why are you with that person? They treat you horribly, and you're like, no, they're great. And then, uh, meanwhile, they're just verbally abusing you all the time or whatever. you talking about when I went out with Cher? (laughs) (laughs) I I just just thought that would be a funny thing to say. uh, uh, (laughs) I like Cher. I just thought it would be funny to that. You're Uh,
0: not knocking Cher? It was 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 an off-the-cuff comment.
2: So, so initially, when I was going to Europe doing shows, I thought, "Oh, I'm going to be learning more about Europe." But I really started learning more about my own country and seeing it more clearly. So that's when I started doing more satire on American narcissism and exceptionalism, and and you know, different U.S. domestic and foreign policy. And and then the world champions sort of changed a little more. It was it was a, a few things. You know, it's this uh, satire on the. You know the American exceptionalism, not just with the sort of you know super patriot, but with everybody. Because I think it's, I think it's that propaganda we're fed from the left and the right that that right. America's number one. You know, and uh, so then um, so it's it's like a it's like a satire in that, and uh, and then it's also the world champions become you know. It's still that superhero kind of thing, but someone who's like a champion of the world and for the world and the people and the plants and the animals and the environment <laughs> of the world. So it's like kind of all those. So it's a few different things. So it, And it's, I don't know where it's going to oh, go next or whatever. That was my very, know, uh, like, we have
0: to ask one last question. It's very subtle yeah. <laughs> it's, and it's not a good one. But do you see your personas developing as as you uh, continue doing stand-up comedy?
4: Um, I, I mean, the persona is something I've never thought about, like I said. So I don't know what's, who knows how I'll reinvent myself. Yeah.
2: Right. I'm pretty sure it's going to be this for a while. Yeah. <laughs> well, the fashion changes and the, the looks that you've given us over the years have, yeah, I'm wearing have always been changing. A crisp
4: pressed shirt.
2: Yeah. I uh, missed the ponytail. But, uh, had a ponytail. Uh, <laughs> What's that? I said I missed the ponytail, and then I said you never had a ponytail. <laughs> that would be something else. That'd a mullet. A, gen- a yeah. mullet, yeah. Uh. Uh, what was the question? Where forget? Yes, I, no, I don't know because you know, like, like when I started, people asked me what was your persona when you started. I'm like, I was 19 when I started, and I was, I was a young looking 19 and and a, and a naive 19. So a lot of my stuff played off of of that, and then doing really, you know, dark twisted stuff, you know, and and I'm uh, I'm older now, and things are changing. So it really depends on, you know, how I change as a person, and you know, as you get older and what you do and stuff. So I, I'm not. Sure, exactly where things are headed. I'm trying thank to figure out much. life as I go. So thank I don't you very
0: know. much. I think you guys are two of the funniest guys in the world and I'm not lying and thank you for doing my show. I can't believe when you both said yes, I cried.
2: Wow, I thanks for having me on, man. <laughs> I
0: did. This is a then real treat. Regret. Thank you very much. This
2: is a treat. Much love. Thank you very much. Thank it was you. nice to meet
0: you on stage. Let's only ever you. talk on stage. Okay. Okay. Todd and Judah, give a big hand! What's next? Thank you very much. Give them a big hand. And now, um, uh, as is the way of the Kevin McDonald's Kevin McDonald's Show, we're going to end with a mini concert. A mini concert by a wonderful musician, songwriter, singer. Please give a big hand, Natalie Prass. Thank you. Sorry, I'm setting you up kind of early. Sorry.
5: Oh, that's okay. that's OK.
0: Thank you. Hey. Now we're ready to rock.
5: I just drove in from Richmond, Virginia, and that's where I live, I live in Richmond. Yep. Yeah, and uh, I was asked to to do this, so I drove, I was supposed to come to New York tomorrow, but I was like, oh, I'll just, no problem, I'll come a day early, and this is so rad. So I'm playing this um, guitar center floor model, uh, super sick uh, Juno right now. So I'm gonna play some super sick Juno patches for y'all.
2: This is, like, my driving
5: outfit, too. I, ha- I have, like, a tote bag back there with, like, a nice dress. And <laughs> I was like, "Huh, ah, fuck it. <laughs> I'm playing, like, some super bummer songs, too. But it's
3: all right. I don't feel much Afraid that I don't feel anything at all. (laughs) There it is. All right, I keep close, but I am gone stuck with history. long Climbing one step at a time Keep waiting for a reason to fall the stranger Cause my baby, he don't understand me No, he don't understand me anymore Oh now my baby, he don't understand me anymore Oh now what do you do?
5: So much. Um, so this is totally sick. <laughs> Thanks for being here, and I'm happy to be playing. This is a this is a new one. Um, all right, here we go. Actually, never played this on the Juno before. except, So here we go. It's gonna sound like this. Mm-mm, not like that.
3: chosen. We need to feel this. We need to feel this. Uh, Like an ocean, no one can steal this. Nobody can take this, yeah. I know nobody can. Oh wait, nobody can take this from my hands. And I know, and I know, and I know, and I know that we're holding on. We'll hold it
5: Dedicated to Janet Jackson who's playing down the street. Thank you so much.
3: Natalie Press! What's the name of your
5: album? Uh, I have a self-titled album out right now, but I have a new one in the works and it's not named yet. So oh,
0: well, uh, self-titled? But. Self-titled. <laughs> How do you buy albums nowadays? iTunes. I mean uh, iTunes. iTunes! Yeah.
5: <laughs> rough Trade. I think it's at Rough Trade too.
0: Thank you very much. Thank you end of the show. Keep applauding and I'll thank everybody. Thank you, the audience. Thank you, Judith Freelander and Todd Berry. Thank you, Natalie Press. She's amazing. Thank you, Union Hall. Thank you, Gary in the booth, who turned out to be a young genius. Thank you, Brooklyn Podfest. Thank you. Thank you, Forever Dog. They're the producers of this. Joe Alex. Thank you, Gabe, for uh, the rewriting and making everything better. I'm Kevin McDonald. I'm sorry. Thank you.